0: i uh, like to bring together some of the different uh, themes that we've covered. Uh, focus particularly on daily life, practice, uh, next steps and uh, also leave um, a good amount of time for us to raise any remaining uh, issues or questions or uh, requests for clarification. So I thought I'd read uh, first uh, something which really expresses the spirit of the third foundation of mindfulness, which is again uh, mindfulness of the of the citta or the mind and heart. And uh, this is from a, a Thai teacher named Achan Moon, who is the teacher of Achan Cha, who is the teacher of Jack Cornfield. And uh, there are pictures of him in the gratitude hut. And you can find, I don't know if it's out on the table, but there is a, an accessible biography of him. That's... Uh, Sean, do you know whether we have any copies of the biography of Achan Mun? Achan means teacher in, in Thai. Um, anyway, he was one of the great teachers of the 20th century. And the biography is very, very moving. Um, uh, at that time in Thailand, practicing around 1900 and thereafter, there was it was uh, quite different. Thailand changed so much between maybe 1940 and ni- and, and the present time. You know, I think 80 percent of the forests have been cut down in Thailand, um, and uh, it was very very different at that time. And the biography is very very moving to read. They were practicing. He would. He would assign uh, people under his guidance who had some issues about fear. He would ask them to do walking meditation outside of a tiger cave. Think you think things are a little rough up at our <laughs> retreats, <laughs> you know, and so forth. So, and uh, a lot of uh, very uh, very focused practice. So this is what he said in the spirit of the. Uh, Third Foundation of Mindfulness, the emphasis on mind. He said, of all the many things that people value and care for in the world, a person's mind is the most precious. In fact, the mind is the foremost treasure in the whole world. So be sure to look after it well. To realize the mind's true nature is to realize Dhamma. Understanding the mind is the same as understanding Dhamma. Once the mind is known, then Dhamma in its entirety is known. Dhamma is the same word for dharma, meaning the core teachings, the the basic truths. Once the mind is known, then Dhamma in its entirety is known. Arriving at the truth about one's mind is the attainment of Nibbana. That's the touching of the sacred and knowing one's mind, which, again, a theme we find in, in many traditions. So, again, how to move in that direction. And I think, again, we can see that the, I'll be repeating a theme which I think is important to repeat, that the, at the center of the third foundation is the ability to be with what's happening in the mind and the heart in our experience increasingly without being taken over by reactivity, by the grabbing (coughs) hold or the pushing away, and to be with uh, sometimes difficult states of body or mind or heart and to be able to be with them with some degree of spaciousness, sometimes not too much, but with (coughs) some degree that permits us to have the space to ask what is a good response right now, rather than simply be taken away by the mind state, the body state, this, the emotion. That's right at the core of this. In other words, the teachings of the Third Foundation point directly towards the possibility of freedom in relationship to the mind. And to go more deeply into the mind and heart, is also to start to open up, in the way we were talking about at the end of the last session, to this deeper aspect of, of freedom. That quality of uh, the luminosity and the beauty and the power of the mind and the heart to, uh, to express, basically, love and connection and wisdom. Very simple. Fairly, you know, the Buddhist tradition has one way of talking about it, other traditions have other ways of talking about it. So a few more tools to help us on this way because it's, a, it's a, a path that we take and uh, in my experience uh, it's been very crucial to just have these times when I'm learning about this aspect of the mind and heart or body this aspect and this aspect and sometimes I mean, uh, sometimes it seems like there are a lot of different things to learn. So it's learning about anger, learning about uh, judgment or self-judgment, learning about fear, learning about self. How does, my, what, you know, what are the ways that my sense of self appears? And I- as we do this, and if we do this with uh, good guidance, we increase that space of freedom. And we also develop a lot of uh, balance about the mind. What we're, one of the qualities that we're aiming at in the long run is the factor that we call equanimity, which is the ability to basically um, not really be tossed around by anything that could happen. And that, a lot of that only comes by hanging out and getting tossed around. <laughs> it's, some, it's a little bit like the famous saying, of Mark Twain, he says, um, let's see, how does it go? Um, Good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. I don't know if I got that quite right, but that's spirit. And so, in a way, the learning process occurs by just being present with whatever is there, seeing how we get lost, and studying it. And there's something about the process which moves towards learning. You know, we would, we would say from a philosophical perspective that it is possible because the, the things that trip us up, or the way what we get lost in, is less fundamental than our good hearts and our knowing capacity. That's one way to say it. That they're visitors. So optimistic view, basically. That the, the difficult material is more secondary. Still, it can be big, right? It can be a lot. And so, partly the encouragement is just to see what's up for you and work with it. You know, we can do that in a lot of different ways. You know, uh, some of my initial learning around the theme of the judgmental mind, which is a big one for most of us, right? Either judgmental towards ourselves or judgmental towards others. Anyone have that somewhat strong? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think it's uh, the occupational hazard of being a Western self. <laughs> uh, don't find it quite in the same way in the rest of the world, but it's uh, developing quickly. <laughs> developing very quickly Um, uh, other cultures are sometimes less driven by self judgment than by shame or guilt different different mechanisms in different cultures and so for myself it's been it's been a big theme and um, I'll just tell a a short story of one of the ways that I I was working with it what we want to be on the lookout for or just, just what basically, in terms of difficult experiences, see what trip us up. You know, notice what is difficult for us and we can really bring the mindfulness to our meditation but also to everyday circumstances. So a lot of my own awareness of my own judgmental mind got heightened at a period when I was meeting with a fellow who was like a boss of the organization that I was involved with, and I'd meet with him every two weeks, and I'd find myself being very judgmental towards him. Uh, In my mind, it was because he was not a good listener, and I would be in a... I was also in a leadership position, and I would say things, and I would think that he would often change the subject and not really listen. And um, other people echoed my interpretations. (laughs) Um, Nonetheless, when I would be with him, I would find myself often being judgmental and somehow finding myself uh, being judgmental and somewhat disconnected, being like I would emotionally withdraw to what I like to call a place of distanced moral superiority. And, uh, but I didn't really, I couldn't really say that until I had studied it a lot. And so there was something, at that time, I was wanting to look at my judgmental mind. This is a difficulty, it was clearly problematic, even if, you know, even if there was something valid in what I was seeing about this other person. That's what start, that's what partly complicates everyday life, right? That our, uh, often in our anger or in our judgments, or in our fears, there's some degree of validity. Right? That's what makes a lot of this tricky. (laughs) Right? There's some degree of validity. So I think I was seeing something accurately in him, but I was still becoming judgmental, You know, in other words, being, it would fit under what we've been calling uh, 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 dosa, or the, the second root, the kind of compulsive aversion. Uh, in its worst form, we would call hatred, and I think judge, being judgmental is a form of that. And so, and but what I was able to do with some guidance, every time we had a meeting, which was every two weeks, after a while, after I started noticing this, I'd be given support for studying my own mind during the meetings, and really wanting to study and look at what was I was experiencing. You know, I could come back and I could report it to the person who was helping me. But it was really interesting to go into a similar situation and just notice how my mind was and notice what was happening. And you can do this in many of our difficult uh, states of mind and heart. We are in the same kind of situation over and over again. It could be a work situation. How many of you are in a work situation where you have a nemesis at work? (laughs) Okay. You can... (laughs) Um, you could look at that. You can study your mind. You can do the exercises we've done to bring, bring, to relive it and see what's there. Basically, study your difficult mind states. And I found in studying this, I could study it both in the moment and then at night I would reflect. Okay, because it was important for me to notice, okay, what was the trigger that led me to be judgmental? Because it took a while to say, oh, I don't think he's listening to me. And for all of our patterns, and many of you have probably explored this psychologically, it takes time to see them more clearly, right? You have to keep studying them, keep looking, keep noticing. And eventually, over time, I could notice, oh, there's a pattern. When someone doesn't listen to me, something really bothers me, apparently, about that. And it wasn't just with the boss, it was with other circumstances. I could notice that, I could start studying that, really get to know it and start seeing that process more clearly to the point where I wouldn't be so caught in just going right into the judgment. I could start to feel, after a while, I could start to feel, oh, I don't like, you know, I could feel some pain. He's not listening to me. And I feel my mind starting to go into the familiar judgment. But with the mindfulness, I didn't, I could see myself starting to go there, but I wouldn't necessarily go there. I could have some awareness of the process, and in that space, I could begin to respond. I could say something like, you know, that point that I just made, it's important to me, and I'd like, can we come back to that? If I was in a judgmental mind, what would I have said? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, not proper English. <laughs> right, but yeah, I would have been, react. you know, re- what's my reactive thought when I'm being not listened to? hey, why did you, you know, it would, it would be something which would tend to put the other person on the defensive. And so, from the point of mindfulness, what's important is that the, the, we start to bring our awareness to these patterns, we start seeing them in our lives, so we can give attention to a challenging pattern. And we can start to look at it in the real-life situation. Sometimes I would go to a family gathering, and have my, most of my attention on mindfulness of my patterns. At a family gathering, maybe 30% on everything else that was happening. No one ever commented to me, you seem a little bit aloof. (laughs) 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 You know, it's interesting, it's interesting, I think. So there's a, um, do some experiments. (laughs) You know, explore, you know, see, see what's possible. And then, related to that, a few few different points. I want to come back to that uh, point about mindfulness is a tremendously valuable tool, but it's not always possible. When we are in a place which the reactivity is too strong. You know, and we gave some examples of that sort of, Some of the, maybe, certain states could be very depressed states. We're just so immersed in it, there's almost no room for mindfulness at certain moments. Maybe panic attacks certain moments, it's too strong in the body. Uh, Maybe certain uh, experiences related to trauma could be like that. Another might be when one starts judging oneself at a very vulnerable time, like the middle of the night, right? You wake up in the middle of the night something I believe has gone horribly wrong and I'm to blame. It's the middle of the night. My defenses are down. And the judge, the judgment mechanism is not merciful. And so what to do at those moments? I think it's a whole, again, it's a whole way that we want to be wise about when we use mindfulness. Mindfulness is not always appropriate or trying to be mindful is not always appropriate. If we can be mindful, I think it's always appropriate. And there's, you know, there are texts that more or less say that, like the Seven Factors of Awakening. In those texts it says mindfulness is always appropriate, if we can get there. But we can't always get there. And that's, it's a, again, very crucial to know when I can be mindful and when I can't. And again, to repeat myself, um, we really need to know the distinction between being lost in something or overwhelmed by something and being mindful. We can easily confuse being lost in something for actually being mindful. Okay, so that's an important distinction. When we're lost in something, overwhelmed, it's the middle of the night, we want to use other tools that bring us back to balance. Uh, Loving kindness in the middle of the night, very helpful. It's like a, you know, a mother or parent taking care of the child, taking care of ourselves. Very powerful. Of course, we can talk to another person often. That can really help us come back to balance. Um, sometimes, again, we can uh, just be with beauty, art, music, the forest, the mountains, the ocean, and so forth. So it's very valuable for us, if we're especially if we are opening to difficult states, to have in our toolbox different tools that help us come back to balance. It's almost like you should carry around in your, whatever, pocketbook or on your iPhone. <laughs> you, know, you should carry around the list of the tools that I use when I get out of balance and know what they are and be able to go to them as soon as possible. You know, Really, really crucial. Uh, so that, is, that has to be said when we're looking at mindfulness, because mindfulness is not always possible because sometimes it's too much, what's happening, okay? Really, really crucial. And then the other um, practical point of view, and maybe on the last comment, some of you might like to look at a text. There's a very interesting text among the Discourses of the Buddha, uh, which is in this volume, which is Majjama Nikaya, uh, number 20. And some of you know this text. It's a famous text where uh, I think it's called the discourse for the removal of distracting thoughts. <laughs> some of you probably know that one, and it's the famous one. Yeah, the removal of distracting thoughts, and it's the one where it basically goes down the list of uh, you know when d- thoughts are too much and you can't really be mindful of it. Here are some things to do. You know. So, you might look for an antidote to the thought. Can you shift away from that distracting thought which is taking you over? Okay, if that doesn't work, maybe you can reflect on the n- negative consequences of staying with this thought f- continually. <laughs> you can reflect on that. You may list a number of different tools which are not mindfulness tools, but which are tools for coming back to balance. And the last one is called crushing mind with mind. <laughs> You know, and that goes like this. Let me see if I can find that passage. This is one where when, when uh, I think probably for us we would have other, other tools, but in the text, when things are just, you can't be mindful, nothing works, metta or loving-kindness doesn't work, none of these other tools work, then uh, here's what you do. Let's see where this is. This is basically when greed, hatred, delusion is too much. With his teeth teeth clenched and his tongue pressed against the roof of his mouth, he beats down, constrains, and crushes mind with mind. Any such evil or unwholesome thoughts are abandoned in him, and his mind becomes steadied internally, uh, quieted, brought to singleness, and concentrated. With the teeth clenched, the tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, beat down, constrain, and crush mind with mind. Just as a strong man might seize a weaker man by the head or shoulders and beat him down, constrain him, and crush him, so too, with teeth clenched, tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, bhikkhu beats down, constrains, and crushes mind with mind. So that's the last resort. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to mention that that's in the text. So, <laughs> you know, so, um, so there are, you know, so there is the sense that uh, uh, mindfulness is a tool to be use along with other tools. Okay, very important point. And then let me make a few more points and we can open up to your, your question. We also want to connect mindfulness with ethics and with wisdom. This is my comment at the beginning of the day. That in daily life, very often, we want to let our mindfulness the uh, catalyst for asking what's wise right now for me to do. Mostly, I think I mentioned earlier, when we ask that question, we're 80% of the way there. We don't always know what to do, but asking the question is very important. So we can sometimes, you know, where something's happening, I'm mindful, I'll say, I'm really angry at what happened with that interaction, right? The mindfulness lets me know I'm angry, And then we have to ask ourselves, well, what's wise? Separate tools, really. The wisdom, and we might not know immediately, but we're really asking, how can I respond skillfully? And that response is dependent on mindfulness. The mindfulness gives us the recognition of what's happening and the space around what's happening, so we're not carried away by it. So mindfulness makes possible wisdom, but we then still have to ask the question how to respond wisely. In the how do I respond, how what should I respond to my boss, who in my mind wasn't listening, okay? And uh, that opens up a whole other area, which is beyond what we can do today, you know, in terms of skillful speech, skillful action, uh, skillful ways to interact and so forth. But it's important that we can ask that question. We can ask that question. That's a separate question than how can I be mindful, you know. And very often, again, the mindfulness makes possible that question to be asked. So that's really a crucial. So I want to I want to move towards uh, towards our integration of the day, and I want to do that in two ways. First of all. I'd like you to reflect, just for yourself, right now. From everything that we've looked at today, in terms of the third foundation of mindfulness, what would I find would be most helpful in my daily life, both in my formal practice and in the flow of my daily life? And just reflect for a minute or two. Maybe they're one or two, maybe, maybe you can say all of the above, <laughs> yeah. But just reflect to yourself, what struck you as most immediately helpful? And where would you like to learn more? I'd like to invite you now to uh, turn to a person next to you. I'd just like to invite you, as much as you care to, to share, each of you, maybe for about three minutes, and I'll ring the bell when we change, just to share uh, what you, what seems important to you, both what you might want to bring into your own life and practice on the one hand, and then where you might like to learn further on the other. So find a partner and introduce yourself. Raise your hand if you need a partner. And we'll take a bit let the first person go, and just to talk, and let the other persons listen. Take about three minutes each, so you'll have to go for about two minutes if you're a group of three. Andrew, do you need a partner? Okay. So first person take about 30 more seconds. And if you're in a group of uh, three, you should have shifted. So let's shift now to the second person. Any groups of three, you maybe have about another minute for the second person.
1: (laughs) See that as so then, what is the story not what I looked I know not so am not going Thank you. I'm going to get a little bit of a sense of how to do it. I'm in LA, I'm just to test the points. I'm going to test the points. I'm going to test the
0: about 30 seconds more. Whatever way you'd like, uh, thank your partner. What's that? Oh yes. Um, so we have some time now for uh, discussion and questions. Maybe could have been something that came out of what you just did. So we'll use the mic again. Uh, there was a phone discovered. Yeah. Is any? Is, is this? Now, we don't want you to have too much letting go (laughs) 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 or a sense of no self or... Okay. No self. No self. (laughs) Never heard that before. (laughs) 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 Very good. No... Is this anyone's? Okay. Donna. Donna. (laughs) 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 I think Sean told me someone did leave chocolate. Okay. Please, please. Okay, we, so we can use the mic and the... Did you have one yourself? I do. But okay, why don't you have hers first and then you second? What well, it? You guys leave so it I'm so sorry. I don't. sorry. <coughs> right. I've been, I've been having an internal dialogue with you for hours over, <laughs> 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 over the... Um, getting yourself back to balance. Oh, yeah. Because it sounds like the dictum is, thou shalt not be out of balance, and if thou is, thou should work really hard to get back into balance. So maybe that's just my own, obviously. But I, I have found that if I try to, it's like trying to rein in a wild horse. Mm-hmm. If I try to rein it in, it doesn't work, I kind of rebel. Mm-hmm. But I'm. I have found that if I can just relax mm-hmm. around it, that I'm more likely to settle back mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah. Yeah. So, so if I can repeat repeat the uh, uh, reflection, really, it was a question of what I, I used the phrase "coming back to balance," and what does that Mean and uh, the reflection of uh, uh, I find myself sometimes like a wild horse, and if I try to bring it back to balance, so to speak it, there's rebellion, something like that and so so a few uh, two thoughts really initially, um, one is that that that's a metaphor in terms and it's particularly the 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 uh, aim is not so much to come back to some perfect balance or to always be in balance, but it's really more pointing to when we're way, way out of balance and and suggesting that when that's the case, um, mindfulness may not be possible and and that uh, what I- and at a way way out of balance could mean that there's uh, suffering going on or we're do- we're causing harm to ourselves or others. so. Uh, so it's really pointing to when we're significantly out of balance, we could use another metaphor, then uh, it's helpful to point towards more balance, more centering. But that could be done in all sorts of ways. And I think the way you're talking about is one way, that you don't do it by, as it were, uh, getting the horse and you know, using force and you know, controlling the horse that maybe... Uh, you know, one metaphor that's used in the text is, uh, I think it's it's an image, that let's say you have like a a wild bull in a very con, con, confined space, right? And the bull is just causing all sorts of damage in the confined space. But if you give the bull a big pasture, uh, there won't be that damage and eventually the bull will settle down, right? So. It's when I use the phrase "coming back to balance," it could mean all sorts of ways. Not necessarily, I will control this and bring it back to balance myself through my intervention. It could be, it could simply be I might know that when I'm out of balance, what really helps is to not try to force it, but just uh, not put pressure on myself and and let my uh, mind relax basically. So, so I think I think we're um, looking in the same way, but and, and so we could just think of it as each of us would know what to do. For some of us, it might be a little more goal-directed. For others, less so, to, to come back to balance. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome.
1: So, okay, so <clears throat> real quick comment and then a yeah. quick question. So to Richard's point, I, something I started doing a few months ago was doing a couple of sitting meditations each week at my office after business hours just well, to, like, well, feel more... That way during the day, and I think that's helping. Yeah. It's just, it, I mean, it's it's a little difficult. It was difficult at first getting it going. It felt kind yeah. of strange doing it there, but I think over time it's yeah. helped the working hours. That's great. Um, the other question, just because I missed the first two of these, what what is this sort of where where do these four foundations come from? What's the historical setting? Is this is this sort of the teaching of the Buddha? I mean, where what, what yeah. and okay.
0: Um, Yeah, so first of all, on on your uh, finding times at work, that's fantastic. And, you know, I mean, there are some work situations which, some workplaces which bring meditation into the workday. You know, I think among them, a lot of our high-tech places, like not Google. Not any law firms. Huh? Not any law firms. Yes, right? I'm, a, I'm a lawyer, I do it. Now. You're a lawyer, okay. not, not any law firms, my friend. Okay, right. so. Nobody knows I do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't tell anybody either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> okay, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, but finding, you know, finding ways to do that is great. I'm sure there will be many law firms In the coming years where one doesn't have to hide practice (laughs) and um, you know there's actually I mean I've I've given uh, some I've had some sessions uh, or some workshops with lawyers and uh, I mean it's it's actually a natural area to connect with this practice or you know particularly around skillful ways to be with conflict Mm -hmm. because a lot of the practices we do are really a big part of how to do that. It's an interest of mine. Um, so so that's great, but for, for all of us uh, in other work settings to try to find ways to, you know, increase mindfulness. And a lot of people, they just find little five or ten minute periods where you can connect mindfulness with the workday. Or just when you're, like I said, when one's walking. And that's, you know, that's a big part of how we bring these into our lives and strengthen mindfulness. Because the formal meditation is great, but the real center of gravity is, the, you know, the, most of what we spend our lives at. And so if we can bring mindfulness there, that's really, that's really important. And then the, the origins of the foundations of mindfulness. Um, uh, the Buddha, they, they are, it is from a discourse of the Buddha. It's the, in, in the, in the, uh, in this, it's, um, there are two versions of it. One of them is in this book. Uh, it's uh, the 10th discourse in, in the in Nikaya. Majjama Nikaya just means middle-length discourses. So they're there. And you can find online uh, a lot of versions of it. You can um, get this book or you could, again, this book, uh, Satipatthana, is the book that's recommended for everyone doing the four-day-long series. But it's a state-of-the-art scholarly book by a, a German monk practitioner. Named Anilayo, who's been here, who comes to the, I think he's going to be in Redwood City later, in the next year, I believe, and it's a very, it's a state-of-the-art scholarly book. It m- maybe more detail than you want, but it's 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 good, and um, I think the, uh, you know, the the mindfulness tool that is developed by the Buddha is taken by scholars to really be his particular innovation. In other words, we find the concentration practices among the other Indian teachings of the time, but the mindfulness practices are really where there is a kind of innovation. And and it's particularly interesting for us because it's about really having this practice in the midst of daily life, in the flow of daily life, and not needing to go away somewhere or try to reach some... Transcendent state, you know that this is uh, taken to be the core practice of mindfulness, and it's a practice, it's an everyday life practice. And, you know, and that's what you know the the monks and nuns of that he worked with, and that we find in the Asian context, they were not meditating most of the time. They were, you know, talking with people, hanging out. They meditated a lot, you know, but they were they were you know, they're invited to dinner quite a bit. A lot of dinner parties. <laughs> so, okay. You read, read; it's fascinating to read the text. You find what their lives are about. So, okay. Other, yeah, please. Hi. Okay. Um, in the um,
1: fleeting and transient state of states, um, I find that you know I went from this sort of opening to sort of like shutting down Mm. and it's like the more that i explore as you were saying that half of what we find in mindfulness is bad news yeah (laughs) um and it brings on a sort of you know a a deep uh suffering Mm -hmm. um dukkha yeah and um and and I, well, I, I guess that's the first part of my question. And the second part of my question in in is that in seeing that most of, um most of what causes my own suffering is uh, the stories mm-hmm. um and my reactions and mm-hmm. the reality in which um, I have sh- my ego is shaped through through conditioning, which is which is a story and, and not reality, mm-hmm. it leads me to this sort of so then what is real? Um, now, I don't mean universally like what is is. I mean in certain like particular situations where mm-hmm. I know if something is my story based on I'm reacting this way because it triggered a fear, it triggered, mm-hmm. This feeling of you know in your experience with the judgment with you know your boss in 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 knowing that it it leaves me in this sort of kind of barren state of then what is the truth of this situation if mm-hmm. um, so I was wondering if you could talk about that
0: yeah the two 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 points really um, the first about uh, the fact that when we're mindful, uh, to a certain extent, we're mindful of um, difficult states. It, c- it can open us up to what we call dukkha, or usually translated as suffering. And it can be a lot. It can be a lot to hang out with. And so, um, generally, generally speaking... And then I find this very explicitly when I work with people around judgmental mind and ask people to be mindful of judgments, that when I work with people on that area, in, the, in that area, I find it really crucial for anyone who's going to spend a lot of time being mindful of judgments to also spend a lot of time in beautiful heart spaces, and to do a lot of loving-kindness practice, compassion, gratitude, joy, and really commit to that as a daily practice. And that because there, there, there are ways that when we're mindful, we can be a little bit unbalanced at times when we don't have that uh, sense. When we have the sense that, oh gosh, my, my greed, hatred, and delusion, it's just everywhere, I see it everywhere, and that's all there is. Our mind can go there. And so that's why it's very important to do these other practices which let us know, we could say, our beauty, our good hearts, and it could be the... Uh, could be the loving-kindness practice, the compassion as a regular practice. It could also be some of what is opened up by the text when we're invited to also be mindful of when there's not greed, hatred, or delusion, to be mindful of contentment or joy or freedom and to tune into that more. I think, again, I think we probably in this culture have a tendency to focus a lot on the negative and get someone preoccupied by it. Uh, I know that's my conditioning it's to like be a problem solver (laughs) you know it's like (laughs) I go into a situation and my training was to be able to see problems and help fix them right which means I tend to look for the problems and I also when I'm looking at my own experience I tend to look at the problems. so for me practices like loving-kindness joy Uh, gratitude practice, really, really helpful because it trains me to be able to tune into the positive in the situation, which I tend not to look at. And that can be, these are all very significant for being able to handle looking at the hard stuff. So that's, uh, so I think that kind of, uh, it's another kind of balance really, is, um, and it, it could mean sometimes laying off looking at the hard stuff and just working to develop the the loving-kindness or the sense of uh, the beautiful qualities. Because um, it's, it's hard. And then it's also to... we could further qualities like equanimity and so forth. These are helpful for um, not thinking that everything is the hard stuff. And uh, so... that's one point. And then on the uh, you know, on the question of uh, how do we look at these situations and and have a sense of, is this just my fictitious story right and so forth um, um, I mean it's interesting I you know with what I've seen very clearly in looking at the judgmental mind is that the judgmental mind typically is a mix of seeing some truth or some recognizing something and getting it caught with reactivity. And I would say that when we look carefully at anger, at fear, a lot of these difficult states, we're going to find some way that we're actually seeing clearly. But it gets mixed up with reactivity. Fear could be, you know, it's a survival mechanism where one we see a danger, but maybe we see some danger and then we exaggerate it by 300 times. <laughs> and that's called catastrophic thinking. You know, where we get a storyline where we think that a possible scenario is totally what's going to happen and maybe already has happened. Mm-hmm. And so there can be some truth value. When I was seeing my boss and being judgmental, I was noticing something accurately about his behavior. And what, one of the ways I frame it in terms of uh, judgment work is that we try to see how a lot of these uh, difficult states are a mix, often of some clear seeing plus some reactivity, which can cause us to exaggerate, distort, and so forth. And when we deal with the reactivity, partly through mindfulness, partly um, sometimes through heart practices, then I could take that um, noticing That accurate noticing, he's not listening to me, he's changing the topic. Or maybe I would want to phrase it a little differently. But there's some accurate seeing there. And then I could actually, when it's not reactive, I can then respond and use that understanding for the purposes of acting compassionately. So I think in many of our stories, there is some accuracy. I mean, we can see it, you know, see it like politically very easily. You know, I can see something that I maybe see really accurately about, you know, about a war or about torture or something like that. I see that really clearly and I can get also incredibly reactive about it, which is generally not going to be helpful. But the clear seeing, I want to come back to. So, this, you know, mindfulness is taken to be clear seeing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, we could get more subtle and talk about relative and absolute reality, which I'm not going to go there right at the end of the day. And we, (laughs) you know, um, but on a more conventional level uh, that we could, see, it's actually interesting to see what's a clear seeing and how does that get distorted by reactivity, right? And that's a way we we can work with it. And I can see that, you can see that about your friends, see about yourself, oh, I'm really noticing something about, I'm noticing something about myself and I'm really hard on myself and it gets really distorted. So I... You know, one way to talk about distortion, I just see the negative. I don't see the positive. That's not seeing clearly, right? That's that's being out of touch with some reality. But I may be in touch with seeing a problem. So does that begin to get at it? To help a little bit. Um, So it's basically we want to see where we're reactive because there's going to be distortion there, and we're not going to see accurately. But there can be with a lot of even of our difficult states some root where we're seeing accurate that's what hooks us basically that's why we get hooked because oh the judgment is true right mm-hmm. so, so i hope that's uh hope that's helpful and after we finish if you want to talk more i'm i'm around for a while <laughs> yeah so maybe the gosh i have four hands and one minute <laughs> so let, let me take one more and then I want to bring bring us to a finish for the day, and I'm happy to stay and talk with the others. Okay, please.
1: Great, thank you. I just wanted to share that um, the idea of meditating on the sense of freedom and liberation yeah. was extremely liberating for me. Yeah. I have a chronic problem falling asleep when meditating, yeah. and meditating on that idea... Energized me and yeah. continues to do it throughout the day. So thank you for uh, a yeah.
0: huge new tool in my arsenal. It's beautiful. Yeah. 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 Tuning into freedom. Some meditation traditions. This is the primary practice. You can do it all day. Some of some of you know. Some of you know the practices in Tibetan traditions of Zogchen or Mahamudra. Anyone know those traditions? Some of you. Um, the primary method there, and it's also used in some some other traditions. Is that you tune into your sense of freedom and you do it over and over again until it gets bigger and you can do that so it's a very it's a very very powerful tool just and and again it it counteracts the tendency to focus on the negative and it's enlivening and I my hope is that all of what we've done today gives more interest in investigating states of mind and states of heart that's what this Third foundation is about, and then when we take the guidance again, we can be with our experience. And I would say, just you know, just following the, you know, if you look at the um, what I've called practices and reflections, that's also the homework for next time for people. Or I hope many of you continue with the fourth foundation, which I believe is October twenty-eighth, uh, uh, yeah. which it would be. Uh, is 23? that what? That would be uh, three weeks from now, right? Is that no? It's not the right date. So that would be that would be the yeah the Saturday would be the 27th, would be the 28th, would be a Sunday. So my hope is that you can use some of these practices. Though, so, but I would really recommend just taking one or two practices which seem to energize you. And the potential of these practices is that can they can bring interest and curiosity and investigation and really energize our practices. So we're saying, oh, look at that. Not always easy, not always fun. But say, oh, look at that, there's, I can tune into the freedom, wow. And, they, and like you said, it just energize your system, right? Wow, freedom. <laughs> you know, so that's my hope for the day. That, uh, you, you know, I mean, of course there's been a lot of learning about the actual text and exploration of a lot of different methods. But I hope most basically this gives energy for all of us to um, take our lives and our mindfulness practices as a chance to really look, investigate, uh, explore, and enjoy the the joy of learning, really. It's really the joy of learning, investigating, and growing. Mm -hmm. Because that comes with it. So let me just finish then. Let me see where my... Notes are. Um, Want to mention just a few things in closing. Um, if you, d- I don't think I mentioned it, but if you, if you are interested in staying in touch, I have a email list which is on that table there. Which I try to not send out too much, like every you know, maybe uh, three or four times a year, not like three times a week. <laughs> okay, so relatively safe. So you can, can look into that. We have recorded everything from today. Gui- and we've separated the guided meditations from the talks and discussion. They should be available on Dharma Seed, you know, in the next few days. So uh, if you want to go back and listen to some of the, maybe particularly some of the early material, if, you, if that, that's useful to you if you didn't take notes. So it's, that's available. I want to thank you in advance for any support through Donna and appreciate that. Um, Chocolate is acceptable. (laughs) Uh, And close really by remembering the larger picture of our practice or larger frame of our practice that I hope it can be very clear that this uh, practice of mindfulness and the deepening in mindfulness can be beneficial to our own selves, to our uh, deepening self-knowledge and our ability to be skillful with uh, many of these challenges of being human being, having mind, emotions, body, having relationships, being with other people. And that it can be of benefit. And also, I think very clearly we can see that our own... Practice here in our own exploration Can be of benefit to others That when we are mindful and wise and responsive We're probably nicer to be around (laughs) And we can be of benefit to others and we can also remember that uh, As is said many times in the tradition that our ultimate intention for all of this is to benefit others and we are Maybe we should say to benefit all beings and that we are included among all beings. So let me thank you for your um, sincere interest. And really, I can tell sitting up here, there's a lot of really good attention that's happened. I can, I can see that really people are following this. And really, it's fascinating material. And I want to thank you for your attention. And uh, look forward to uh, seeing you next time. Thank you. Thank you.